Hello, and welcome to episode 129 of Pop Culturally Deprived, where each week we watch a movie I've never seen before, which is most of them, and talk about the good, the bad, and the hormonal hussies of society. This week we're going to be talking about But I'm a Cheerleader on your I Just Wasn't Meant to Be Butch podcast. I'm Mandy Kay, and you can find me on Twitter at Mandy Kay if you want to continue to marvel at all of the things I still haven't seen. And I'm Matthew Vose. This week is the start of the 2019 Godaming Film Festival. So if you're listening in real time, follow me on Twitter for lots of updates and retweets about that. And if you can get to our little town in Surrey, come and join us. I'm on Twitter at Matthew Vose. So I am so excited to introduce our guest this week. I have been keeping this a secret from everybody for months and months and months, <laughs> and I'm just so excited. Um, we are joined this week by Kristen Russo. Kristen is a writer and educator focusing on LGBTQ issues. She's co-founder of everyoneisgay.com and mykidisgay.com, and she literally wrote the book on helping parents support their gay children. This is a book for parents of gay kids. You may also know her as half of the amazing Buffering the Vampire Slayer podcast, and I know you're getting ready to launch a couple other podcasts. So welcome to the show, Kristen. Please tell us anything that I didn't say, and I'm so glad you're here. Oh my gosh, thank you so much for having me. It's very thematically appropriate, I think, that I'd be here today. Yeah. (laughs) I mean, I try to, you know, be as gay as I can be every day. So thank you for helping me, uh, you know, get a few points, a few extra points on this Saturday. (laughs) Uh, You're welcome. Um, And no, you covered it pretty much. Uh, You know, the newest podcast I have coming down the pipeline is The Boiler Room, which is a My So-Called Life rewatch podcast, because I apparently just want to live in the 90s forever. (laughs) There is nothing wrong with that. <laughs> Thank you. Thank all. you so much. <laughs> so, uh, speaking of which, Mandy, we have a film f- directly from that period. How come you've not seen But I'm a Cheerleader? So, this is really funny. I'd actually never heard of it until I heard you talk about it, Kristen, on Buffering. Spreading the gospel, you know? <laughs> yeah. And then after that episode, the first time you mentioned it, um, I, several of the folks in our little community also listened to Buffering. And so they all messaged me asking me, well, is that movie on your list? And <laughs> I had honest to God never even heard of it, which I don't understand because I was a teenager in 1999. So <laughs> I should have. Like, I mean, this came out right around the same time as American Pie, which I did see. So I don't. I don't know. I'm baffled as to how I didn't know this movie existed. You know, other it's than- interesting, though. Yeah, but because it's like, I don't know how widespread the advertisements mm-hmm. and stuff was for the movie at the time. Like, I was ha- had been out for two years, barely. Um, so I was, like, really, really, like, finding and seeking out lots of gay stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so I wonder... I wonder if I like had not been doing that if it would have been something on my radar because the first time I saw it was at like Two Boots Theater in New York City which I, I like I don't know that it was playing in all the theaters in New York City but I'm not sure I didn't look that up. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I I think it probably didn't have a very wide theatrical release. I probably should know that since I read the Wikipedia page a couple times but I don't. So <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those things that like I, I'm just like this was a cornerstone of my young life but also as a queer person there are a lot of things that were cornerstones of my young life that a lot of people don't know because right. you know we were just like on a different time time travel over there <laughs> yeah yeah 
Well, for those folks who are like me and have never seen it before, um, when Megan's friends and family suspect she's a lesbian, they send her to homosexual rehab. Goodness. It's dark. Yeah. It is. Dark comedy. Mm. <laughs> it is a dark comedy. Well, in, in concept, I think watching it, it doesn't feel like a dark comedy. But we can talk yeah. about that. <laughs> yeah. 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 There's a lot to talk about. Yeah. Um, but I'm a Cheerleader is a romantic comedy rooted in satire. It debuted at the 1999 Toronto International Film Festival and was released theatrically in 2000. Directed by Jamie Babbitt, it stars Natasha Leon and Clea Duvall, along with RuPaul, Melanie Linsky, Eddie Cibrian, and Rufio. Sorry, I mean Dante Vasco. While the screenplay was written by Brian Wayne Peterson, the story was Babbitt's. It was inspired by an article she read about conversion therapy and some of her own personal familiarity with rehab programs. Her mother ran a halfway house called New Directions. Her goal was to explore the social construction of gender roles and heteronormativity. So, uh, Kristen, you said that you first saw it in New York. Do you now own this? Is this one you revisit regularly? Um, I don't own it, but that that isn't really an indication of anything. I don't really own a lot of things. Um, I actually had so much trouble renting it again from iTunes today because I must have rented it or purchased it or something a long time ago. And so my computer was like, what are you You're trying to access something from several years ago? So I actually had to like sign into a different account and re, re-rent it. Oh, no. um, yeah, but um, I ha- I've rewatched it definitely probably – maybe two or three times since I saw it initially, but I, I haven't rewatched it a bunch, but it is definitely for me one of the top classic films of like my queer journey um, by far. Mandy, have you had lots of iTunes issues? No, but I don't have a, I don't do stuff through iTunes. So <laughs> um, this particular movie, I was delighted to find that it's actually available for free um, on the Vudu app or like on voodoo.com. But because it's one of their free offerings, you do have to sit through a couple of commercials. Uh-huh. Oh, um, so it was really bizarre. It, <laughs> and they just like randomly put them in. And so it'd be like mid-scene, there's a commercial. <laughs> but they actually did it really well, though, because every time there was a commercial, when it restarted, it restarted like five or ten seconds before it had cut so that you didn't actually lose context on anything. Oh, neat. oh there you go. So well, for thanks, something Voodoo. free, it was great. No, it's like it's uh, Voodoo's getting like a, a, a free ad, you know? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We are not affiliated with them in any way, by the way. <laughs> Other streaming services are available. Um, <laughs> over here, even at the, the, at the cinema... It, I think it got released in 2001 on a very limited release. I have I'd mm. never seen this referenced on a streaming service. I ended up buying it off eBay. Nice. Wow. Yeah. Do you have the DVD? Yes. Yeah. I feel like I really should have the DVD, you know, but I don't, I, the only DVDs I have right now are the box set of the L word. And that's because I just did the first okay. season of a podcast on them. Mm-hmm. Um, and the music is completely different when you stream it um, than it mm-hmm. is uh, on the hard copy of the, of the DVDs. But, um, but yeah, the, if I had a collection of DVDs, this would surely be one of them. Um, there are a handful from the nineties that were pretty formative for me. And this really was like one of, if not the top one. Nice. Oh, then I'm so glad you're here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> also, the I think that one of the first like queer rooted films that I saw after coming out was Boys Don't Cry. So mm. like I really took a hard, you know, this was like, oh, okay, so I can watch a movie and also like laugh. And yeah, stuff it too. can be like, fun. I yeah. really, you know, I thought, okay, okay, so I'm queer and like we're gonna cry for all, uh, all of the movies that we ever see. <laughs> uh, so it was a big difference for me to see those. 
Right, so let's let's dig into the film a little bit. And um, Mandy, you mentioned a, a good big cast and a director who done a number of really good films. So Natasha Leon, Clea Duval, and Jamie Babbitt. Have you seen their other work? Jamie Babbitt, I had actually never heard of, but when I looked her up, I realized I have seen some of the television work that she's done. Um, she's done some episodes of Gilmore Girls. She's done um, the recent Netflix show Russian Doll. I think, did she do the L word? I haven't seen it, but I feel like I saw that referenced on her page. I'm not sure, but she's a total badass. She's like sort of had her hands in many pies over the mm-hmm. years. Um, yeah, I think, and I'm I'm pretty sure she's married to somebody named Kathy Dornetto, who's also a, a super badass writer um, and has done a lot of incredible work. So yeah, they're, I mean, she's amazing yeah. and it shows. <laughs> yeah, when I looked at the list, I was thinking it's it's a shame that particularly television directors, you just don't hear their names that often mm-hmm. until you start doing a podcast where, you know, every episode you mention who the director was and that sort of thing. And like just general life, we just take it for granted that TV show episodes are directed, you know? Totally. Um, and so, I loved, I actually didn't know that the screenplay, like, I didn't know who the screenplay had been written by. Um, and so I was just, like, looking a little further into it. And so it was nice to see that, you know, this was her story, you know, mm-hmm. like, that she didn't only, ju- she didn't only direct it, she directed it. And it was, like, her story that was being told. I think that that also reads pretty clearly. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah, you, you look at the list of stuff she's done recently, and it's Girls, Supergirl, Silicon Valley, The Orville. Marvelous Miss Maisel. Mm. Yeah, she is working hard and doing good stuff. Love yeah. it. She did a, a film I watched earlier in the year called Addicted to Fresno, which is again Natasha Leon, and was really weird, but really funny. Very strange. Yeah, they. I think that they work together a lot, actually. Mm. Um, Natasha Leon and, and Jamie Babbitt. I, I feel like I, I see that. And also Claire Duvall. Um, I think that, you know, this probably was the first time they had worked together. But I, I think they're pretty um, intertwined out there in the world of Hollywood and, and work together on a lot of projects, um, whether it's like Natasha and Claire and something together or like Jamie's yeah. working on something and Natasha's in it. I see them. I see their names paired um, mm-hmm. very often. Yeah. Um, well, speaking of Natasha Leon, I was surprised at how little of the things on that list I have seen because I'm just so familiar with who she is. Like her face and her voice, mm. just they're normal. They're common to me. Like I know who she is. Um, I think I first became aware of her back in American Pie. And I know she's been a main cast member on Orange is the New Black. But I really couldn't tell you anything else that she did. I just know her. Like she's just there. Have you Have you seen Russian Doll? I haven't. It's on my Netflix list. Um, so I, I actually I just, haven't either because it was so powerful that it like gave me an anxiety attack after oh. the first episode. But I'm going to oh, no. go back to it. But it's so no, it's like in, it's like incredible. It was just like too much. And I was like, I can't. I'm not in a place where I can watch this whole series. But um, but yeah, she's all over the place right now. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, Clea Duvall. Um, obviously, I first came to know her through Buffy. Um <laughs> So I thought she was going to be the only Buffy reference that we had in this, but uh, no. according to your notes, she is not, which is amazing. Sinead, Sinead, Sinead. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, I mean, Clea Duvall is just all over 90s teen movies, and then she was in the West Wing. She's just, she's a little bit like Natasha. She's everywhere, particularly back in the 90s. So 
Yeah. This was my introduction to um, both of them, actually. This was the first time oh. that I had seen um, Natasha in anything and the first time that I had ever met Clea Duvall. Um, and obviously saw them and sort of like followed them because of this film. But this was oh, yeah. my intro. And I, I think I saw somewhere in your notes, Mandy, that you were like, it's so weird to see, to like hear Natasha talking with like a higher voice and what have you. And I thought, oh, that's funny. Right. Like I sort of came to know her here. And so for me, I was like, whoa. <laughs> Oh, who's this? Like, what's she doing now? Like, it was the opposite, you know. Mm-hmm. Like, I had known her as um, as Megan first, right? Oh, that makes so much sense. That's <laughs> interesting. Yeah, this. I was thinking about all the things I've seen her in, and this is the only thing where I've seen her be that like perky mm-hmm. teenage, yeah. like very very feminine girl, right? Or like attempting to be a very feminine girl, right? <laughs> and I think the thing that struck me the most about her was her voice, though, because she tried to pitch her voice higher for this role. Mm-hmm. Unless she's pitching it lower for everything else that she's done <laughs> since then. No, I, I think that I think this is the less her real voice than we hear now. I think that what we hear now is probably how she actually talks. But I, I think that, again, like, I don't know, we'd have to ask Jamie or, or Natasha or somebody who is, you know, heavily involved in the creation of the film. But um, I feel like part of the casting was that, right? Like that this person is trying to be... Uh, something that she's not, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I didn't even think of it like that, but absolutely. That's like a whole deeper level. Yeah, like if there was a sequel, like, but I'm still a cheerleader, I feel like we would see uh, Megan talking a little deeper. <laughs> right, right. Okay. <laughs> and, and I want to uh, shout out the writer of the story. So it was Jamie Babbitt's idea, and she got Brian Peterson to actually write the script and screenplay for it. He mm-hmm. was writer producer exec producer and showrunner eventually for most of smallville's run oh wow Oh, okay mm. uh he's gay too yeah um and and also I, th- I read somewhere that like she had jamie had read um a short story of his that was like really powerful um to her and that's what um made her approach him to maybe write the screenplay yes he's another one who's okay. doing a lot of work yeah and that's my that's, that's my DC reference for the week. Um, <laughs> um, similar material, I think. Certainly from this time, there's not much similar material. Certainly, like you say, Christian, with this amount of heart and humor. Uh, Mandy, was there anything that this was reminding you of? The only thing that I could come up with that had like a similar vibe was uh, Saved, which we did on the show a couple weeks mm. back. Um, just because it has that same like dark, humorous, satirical mm-hmm. feel to it. Is that Mandy Moore? Say? Yes. Yeah, yeah, totally. I think it's like that camp, like it's heavily in the camp genre. Yeah. Well, and it also, so I was talking to my boyfriend about this yesterday, and it kind of, I was headcanoning it because a portion of Saved is the main character, she gets pregnant by, because she's trying to save her boyfriend. So she sleeps with him because she's trying to save him from being gay, right? And they send him to a camp just like True Directions. And then right. we don't see him again until the end when they kind of like break from it. And so I was headcanoning it that this is that camp. And so this yeah. is what's <laughs> yes. happening to him oh, yes. that we're not seeing in Saved. Like they're totally. all happening together. I love that. I love I- that. I'm really glad you made that pull because yes, it is like this is the other side of that story. We mm-hmm. saw saved from the, you know, very straight, very vanilla grouping. <laughs> and and now we're seeing it from the camp perspective. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. And then I looked, you know, I Googled, you know, some movies that are like, but I'm a cheerleader. But of, of course, I am pop culturally deprived. I haven't seen any of those other ones. <laughs> what were the so. ones, like, what came up as the as the references? Um, I think there's one, is there a movie called 
Itty Bitty Titty Committee? Uh, there uh, is. Not- I actually haven't seen that movie, but I, I know that title very yeah, well. Yeah, it's another Jamie Babbitt, <laughs> I think. Okay. That's probably, yeah, that's probably A, why I've heard the title, and B, why it came up as related. <laughs> and then, I don't know, there's other movies here that I just haven't heard of. Like, I Can't Think Straight, um, Better Than Chocolate. Yeah, you're just fa- you're falling down a gay uh, rabbit hole is what you're okay. doing right there. They're like, you like but I'm a cheerleader? Let's give you more gay content. <laughs> you know, I need to diversify what I watch. So I'm I'm good with that, especially if they have amazing, amazing kissing scenes like we had between Natasha and Clea in this Oh, movie. my God. Don't even so. get me started with these. With the kissing scene, with the sex scene in this movie, we're going to get there, I know. But like, (laughs) Jesus, gets me every time. Yeah, yeah. So I can kind of hear the smile, but I'm going to ask the question anyway. Mandy, did you enjoy But I'm a Cheerleader? I did. You know, it was painful sometimes just because satire, for it to be effective, has to be so deeply rooted in reality, Mm -hmm. you know? And so some, some of it was just painful, like recognizing, like, I know people who think like some of those people and it's just horrifying, but it was such a good story and it was done really, really well. Like the performances were great and yeah, it was good. I I don't know if there's any way of asking, did, did any of this speak to you? Was there something about this in the coming of age, in the being an outsider in the society that particularly sort of evoked any reaction from you? Oh, that's a good question that I didn't expect. Sorry. Um, <laughs> the best kind. Yeah. Because this, is, this isn't your experience, but yeah. Right. I, I don't think I was looking at it from that perspective. Um, wow. I'm, I'm not sure. Okay. I think like what you said too, though, it's like, right, all satire is rooted in reality. And so like at the at the beginning, we were saying like, well, is it a dark comedy or like maybe it's not a dark comedy, but like it is just by the nature of it being satire. I think that all of this is rooted in, right? you know, like the reason that the film is here is to kind of like underline how absolutely ludicrous this is. But mm-hmm. the other side of that is that there's all of these people in the world who very much do not think it's ludicrous at all, uh, which is, you know, I think would affect mm-hmm. any, it would affect anyone regardless of your identity, certainly as like a queer person watching it. There are some touchstones in there that are that are different. But, you know, if you're on the other side of that divide and you're just like, this is, how could anyone think this way? It just gets you. Yeah, absolutely. From from that perspective, it, I mean, that's why I say it, it was painful to watch. And I think watching at the end, the, the interactions between Megan and Graham that went reverse of how you expected them to go when it's Graham is the one who's not actually being true to herself. She's still hiding. And Megan's the one who's saying, no, you have to leave with me. Mm-hmm. Um, I struggled with that because part of me felt like I completely understood why Graham was doing that. And I felt like Megan should have been more understanding. Mm. And it hurt my heart for Graham. But at the same time, I'm so proud of Megan. Right. Uh, It it, it kills me. And I don't know which answer is the right answer. And I don't think there is a right answer. I think you can feel both of those equally. Mm. It just, from the outside looking in, it hurts. Well, I think that's such um, such a big piece of sort of coming out is that when you, you know, not everybody is at the same pace as you are. And that's something that like I can understand now as somebody in my late thirties who's been out for, you know, 20 years. But certainly when I was a teenager coming out, like I didn't understand that. And so I think Megan's like, 
we have to do this thing. This is the good and the right thing. Let's go. It's like once she gets there, she expects everybody to be there with her because she's just like wide eyed, you know, like it's such a like a defining piece of her character is that like the minute that she sort of comes to understand what's good and what's right, she's there 100 percent. So I think it I think it checks out big time that she's not like, let me give, you know, <laughs> let me give Graham space because like that that's part of the process, too. You're, you definitely I don't think are there right out of the gates. Right. I think the most relatable experience I have is um, I sometimes equate coming out as an atheist um, very similarly, uh, which is something that I went through. Mm-hmm. And it it's one of the things where I kind of went to the absolute furthest extreme once I admitted it to myself, you know, and then all of a sudden everything that I did was very intense, mm-hmm. I guess is the right word for it. It was very like purposeful and well- I've admitted this, so I have to be a certain way, and I wanted nothing to do with how I was before. Right. And it felt kind of like that's a little bit of what Megan was experiencing. Yeah, and I think that that's, I mean, with anything, as you're, like, coming to understand yourself, usually the pendulum does swing, like, real far first. And then as you realize, I mean, you even see a little bit of that at the end when she's sort of, like, moving in with, what are their names, Larry and... I can't remember the other one's name, but oh, the, I don't two, either. the two main guys who are sort of like the XX gays, like she moves in with them and um, is like, okay, so tell me, like, how do I be gay? And they're like, well, that's the thing is like, you just be, you just mm-hmm. be you. Like, that's how, mm-hmm. you know, and, but it takes a minute to kind of like recalibrate to, I don't need to change, you know, like I want to change the things about me that I've been um, kind of keeping down because I haven't come out yet and now I have so I want to let those fly and realizing what pieces you're just putting in there because you're like well I'm gay now so I'm supposed to like do x y and z Larry right. and Lloyd by the way Larry and Lloyd are their names yeah. and they're Larry so and fantastic I love them <laughs> yes they were fantastic absolutely I was really surprised by the direction of the film the style of the film in places I, I thought this was going to be a coming of age story her realizing she was gay, coming out, coming to accept it, and oh, big surprise for you! Yeah, it. it I, I was really surprised in the beginning that she herself didn't believe it, and I, I thought they might do an interesting story of she's not gay, but everyone is making her think she should be, and something along those <laughs> that lines. Was Jan. Which, which, yeah, which could be an interesting way. Yeah, exactly. They they did cover some of it, but then it turns into yeah. a romance, just a romance in the bizarrest situation. And it right, was, right. Yeah, it's like a romance inside of a commentary on conversion yeah. therapy, which is, is pretty badass. I think this movie rules. It's, you know, we got a, <laughs> we have a long list of like uh, queer movies from the 90s that came out and like lesbian movies specifically. Uh, and a lot of them were not good. Right. <laughs> you know, we watched them because it's like, you know, if you get something and there's a lesbian in it and you're a lesbian, you're like, ah, I got to consume this media. But, you know, a lot of the films that I was watching at the time were like not quality films. And this is one that stands um, like kind of towers over a lot of the others in, in the quality of the creation of the film and the dialogue and all of it. Yeah. And, and I also feel like there's a lot of films doing some of this similar kind of story about self-image being yourself the the coming of age stories coupled with some romance that are coming out very recently so i don't know if this was an absolute trendsetter if it's that the filmmakers watched this and and like you say other films of the time who are now like oh now i'm gonna make love simon freak show um what was it call me by your name really good modern gay film so hopefully more accepting getting more publicity because like we said this had a very limited release 
Right. It, it's weird, though. It's like a film that had a limited release, but it's also a film that, like, I don't know a single person of my generation or even kind of in the surrounding generations who identifies in qu- as queer in, like, any way who has not seen okay. this movie. Um, so I do feel like it's very well known. I, I'm, I'm worried we're calling someone out for not having seen it. It's okay if you haven't seen it. <laughs> <laughs> no, if you haven't seen it, just come on over to the other side. You know, that's, that's what this is for. Let's, let's have a party next weekend. Big screening. <laughs> yeah. So I have a question. You know, we talked, this is absolutely a dark comedy because of the way, you know, it's a satire. It kind of has to be. But does it at all, is there any concern that this is too lighthearted? for the subject matter that we're talking about, because it does kind of show conversion therapy in a silly light rather than the, what's the word that I'm looking for? The reality that we really should be like fighting against. Yeah. I mean, like, again, I haven't spoken to Jamie to ask her the audience she was making this for, but I feel like she was making it for us. Right. Um, Okay. And, and and like, you know, like, it's very apparent that this movie was not made to take somebody who believes in conversion therapy and change their mind, yeah. right? It's right. like, this movie is made for a generation of people who grew up um, very close to a time where conversion therapy was super normal and during a time when conversion therapy was still super actively happening to be like, hey, isn't this so fucked up? Like, this is so fucked up and ridiculous. Like, let's laugh at how insane this is. And like, uh, to me, and again, like I, I watched it when it came out when I was 19. I watched it, you know, today as a 38 year old. And I have very similar feelings um, in that vein. It's just like, you know, we all know, like we have to live, we live with the reality that this happened in in a variety of like very extreme ways. If we're going back as far as like, you know, the forties and fifties and stuff, like, I mean, the things that happened were atrocious. And so I think that a film like this and satire in general, right? Like that's kind of the core purpose of satire is to say like, this awful thing is happening. We need to laugh at something, you know, like we need to like be able to laugh and we need to be able to like find commonality in the experience in a way that's not always just looking right at the starkness and the darkness of it. Um, And so I think that 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 was more her intentionality was to make fun of it, you know, mm-hmm. like, you know, as, as dangerous and as, as, as scary and um, terrifying and awful and all the things that it is, it is ridiculous. When you really peel back the layers of why these things are happening, it is absurd. It's completely absurd. Right. Um, and I think that that's what this movie is aiming at. And, and I think it nails it. So I, I personally do not think that it's too light of a take on it because I think that it's satirical and it's intended to be that way. And I think it's for the, you know, mostly for queer community and for like people who are maybe not in queer community, but who are like very much rolling their eyes at anyone who's like, girls should wear dresses and boys should wear pants. Like, are we right. kidding? Yeah. <laughs> oh, gosh, some of that stuff just killed me. Like the whole idea of gender roles. And gosh, there was this line. Let me go back to my notes and see if I can find it really quick. There was a line that was basically like, if you understand gender roles, then you can stop objectifying women. Yes. Said yes, to the women. I that down too. <laughs> and I'm like, but the whole point of the male gender role is to objectify women. So right. what kind of sense does this make right now? 
I know. The li- the, there are so many piece, little pieces of dialogue that are just like razor sharp, just like mm-hmm. incredible. You could take them one line like that and talk about it for a half hour because it's just like, yep, mm-hmm, exactly. And mm-hmm. isn't that the point? Uh, and I think, you know, to to talk about the the set and the costuming in this, like that this the satire, of course, is there in like the dialogue and the characters and like the way they relate to each other, da 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 da. But um, every time I watch this movie, I am floored all over again by the beauty of the set and the colors used in the set. And the costumes are the costumes are so remarkable that this time I was like, who the hell was the costume designer? Like, I need to look this person up. Like, are they still making? Are is this what they do still? Mm. Because I feel like it's brilliant. And I looked the costume designer up, and her name is Alex Friedberg. She's no big deal. Been nominated for six Emmys. She won an Emmy. She's the costume designer for Big little lies um she was like a total badass so um so like our uh, analysis that the costuming in this is incredible is spot on it was done right. by a total badass costume designer yeah every every person who worked on this movie i think is a total badass at what they do yeah yeah um, it's fantastic um so i was really struck by the the sets and how everything was pink and blue and and of course that fits into the whole trying to define gender roles which obviously we know is bullshit, but um, I found this quote by Babbitt that made such perfect sense. She said, I wanted to make the world of the movie very artificial and polyester. I think it's a great comment on the artificiality of gender identity. Mm, and that's I, nice. Yeah, I don't think, like, my brain, when I'm watching a movie, particularly for the first time, like, I don't catch stuff like that. Like, I recognize that it was there, and I recognize the absurdity of those, God, those like, vinyl dresses and suits at graduation. But oh, I didn't... so beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but my brain didn't connect artificial to what they were actually portraying. And to, to see you it, like, I think if I had watched it a couple more times, I would have gotten there, but... It's subtle in a way that's not subtle, and it's just fantastic. I, I like, totally want to challenge you on that because I think that even though you might not have, like, been able – like, even though you might not have, like, had the conscious thought of what was happening, I feel like it probably got into your head the way – the exact way that – that Jamie wanted it to. You know what I right. mean? Like, even if you weren't like, oh, of course, they're like using patent leather to like symbolize the artificiality of gender identity. It's like the awareness of the absurdity of it is mm-hmm. kind of the point. And that it's like underlined by the patent leather and like the shininess. And that was the scene that made me look up the costume designer because I was just okay. like, who the hell did this? This is so beautiful. I mean, right. the, the blue patent leather suits and the pink patent leather, you know, I don't know if it's patent leather, but um, whatever the material is, that's like shiny, like patent leather. Um, and then like all of the parents and the teachers being in like white, like muted whites. It's just mm-hmm. gorgeous to look at. Yeah, it, it, it definitely was. Absolutely. I, I was continually impressed by everything that was on the screen. Mm-hmm. Um, did you notice that here's a kind of another costuming question in the scene where they snuck out and we got to see everybody for the first time in their street clothes. Uh-huh. Um, I have a lot to say about that too. <laughs> Megan's the only one who was still wearing pink. Did you notice that? Oh, I didn't, but that's nice. That's a nice touch. Um, and so I, I was trying to, to figure out if that's still, of course, it was intentional because you don't do anything in a movie that's not intentional. Yeah. But is is that her still trying so, so hard to be this person that she thinks she is instead I of think this so. person? 
Yeah, maybe. Because the first thing she says, right, is like, you didn't say you were taking me to a gay bar, right? She's like not there yet in that first scene right. um, at all. So I think that that costuming, though I didn't notice it, makes total sense. I also can tell you why I didn't notice it. And it's because Clea Duval was wearing a black button up shirt. And uh-huh. the first time that I saw that, I mean, like Clea Duval is somebody who, and I've had this conversation with several other queer people my age, like this role and this movie and Clea Duval were like, you want to talk about a root? Like that, it was like so, <laughs> so formative. And so like this scene, there's like the the like image of her like on the bed smoking a cigarette right when Megan walks in. The moment that she puts on her clothes for the first time and you see her in that button up, like mm-hmm. there are just these like little flash images that for my 19 year old brain were like, what the fuck <laughs> is happening? <laughs> so I'm sure I've never noticed Natasha Leone being in pink because I am always just like taken back to the root of like, oh my God, Cleo Duvall in a black button up shirt. Help me. <laughs> right. And, uh, totally understandable. Absolutely. She, <laughs> yeah. It's- there were a couple swoonworthy scenes in in this movie for sure, but um, I think I just noticed it because it was such a stark contrast to everybody else was wearing black, and then she's got this pink sweater on. Yeah. So, but I totally understand keeping your focus on Clea Duvall. <laughs> I had to, you know, but also like I feel like that little moment, that like attention to detail there is is present throughout the whole movie. Um, you know, even the the like. I also think that budget is so powerful. Like, I don't know what their budget was, but I'm going to imagine it wasn't super high. And I um, love what happens when movies don't have these, like, massive, massive, massive budgets because I think the most creative, brilliant things can happen. And so, Mm -hmm. like, when you're talking about the specificity of the choice of that sweater, it makes me think of, like, all of the work that whomever did on those cutouts that are used in the boys' scene where they're, like, the army men, but it, like, looks like somebody's giving somebody else a blowjob. And, like, you know, like, like, just these, like, the way that the sparkles are, like, placed around things in those cutouts. Everything is so intentional so specific and so like obviously done by hand which Mm -hmm. gives it a very powerful effect too i think yeah um i just looked it up it had a budget of one million dollars yeah so not (laughs) not not very much not a big not a big budget to get a movie like this uh off the ground and certainly not to get a movie looking as like beautiful as this movie looks yeah but but we've talked previously about how sometimes like not quite having the budget helps you um, mm-hmm. you know, it forces you to make considerations or use light and dark and things. I, I was quite struck all the time they were filming on the camp, all the, all the cameras are static. And, and there's a few times, mm. particularly when they're all seated on the sofa and it's like over people's head, the camera is in position and people walk into the scene and into the frame and, and onto their spot. Like it's, right. you know, they've set up the camera shot and they have no opportunity to move it. But then once they do go to the bar and, and other locations, it's sometimes more handheld. The cameras are moving. It feels organic and natural compared to this really yeah. rigid, slightly awkward shooting they do in the camp. And and it probably oh, is pure that. budget on we have no room for cameras in this set, so we just have to set them up on a table and leave them there. It's like, yeah, it's like budget with intentionality, yeah. right? Like, you know, you have a limit. So how are you going to like make that limit work for you, basically? Ooh. And I think they do that everywhere. I mean, I, I don't know if if we're like ready to talk about it yet, but the scene where they sleep together or whatever 
is literally like it it looks like it was shot with like a flashlight, you know, Mm -hmm. like it's and it's gorgeous. It is, I think, a scene that will make me want to weep every time I watch it. And it's and I think that's because of the beauty of the scene Um, and also because I saw it when I was 19 and like pretty newly gay uh, and was just like, what am I watching? You also don't expect it because you've been like in this satire Mm -hmm. comedy and then you're like, whoa, 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 this shit is real. (laughs) Right, right. Like to tie it to the budget piece, it's like, you know, I'm sure a lot of the choices were made there to keep it within Mm -hmm. budget and the way that they chose to use the limited budget wound up making it stunning. Yeah, and all of those sequences where where it's the two of them together, it feels intimate. It feels nice and natural. It's great. Yeah, yeah. My my thought that I I wrote down for that was these scenes with Clea and Natasha are amazing and the only non absurd thing in this whole movie. Yeah, and yeah, yeah it gave me feels. <laughs> mm-hmm. And isn't that like another that kind of underlines what you were saying before? It's like you know to take the core of their love for each other and make it the only thing that is not satirical yeah. mm-hmm. is making a pretty big statement. Yeah. Yeah. It just it just made me smile, I have to tell you. I'm really <laughs> glad that you agreed to come on and talk about this movie because it means I had to watch it and I'm really <laughs> glad I watched it now. You can always trust me, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I I won't lead you astray. Uh this this movie, I mean, this movie is is powerful on so many levels and it's just like I forget every time um, how incredible the cast is. It's like, I was like, Michelle Williams? I forgot you were <laughs> yeah. even here. Like, mm-hmm. I didn't even, like, RuPaul, you know, Melanie Linsky, like, just like such an incredible cast of people and uh, all together. And I'm sure that most of them did this work for very little money, <laughs> you know? Right. Uh, and it's just, it's powerful and rad. I mean, Kathy Moriarty, I think that's how you say her last name, but mm-hmm. um, who plays the, the, like, head, head bitch in charge, basically, <laughs> of the, uh, of the camp is one of my favorite characters of all time. Uh, I think she's just perfect. She reminds me of like m- some of my like Long Island aunts who have smoked for years and years, you know, just like <laughs> yapping very loudly and being pissed off and like fucking cleaning her plastic flowers. Like the choices, <laughs> the choices that they made these characters get are so perfect. <laughs> All right. Well, we are veering into gushing territory. Is there anything that you want to talk about before we start talking about just like our favorite scenes, lines, moments? Oh, I mean, I could talk about anything forever with this, but no, I mean, I'm I'm down to get into favorites because I'm sure that will bring up a lot. Okay. Well, since this is one of your favorite movies, do you just want to go through? I mean, you can't say the whole movie, but are there specific <laughs> things that you really want to pull out and and talk about as being just amazing. Yeah, I mean, you know, I already gushed about uh, Kathy Moriarty's role. And, you know, like, the I think the first thing that she says when Megan arrives is like, it's, yeah, oh, she's, you know, 17. It's a good thing you got her here. We almost, we almost lost her to college. Like, yeah. it's just like, these little <laughs> lines that are like, uh-huh, you know, like, you see where they're tied to. Um, so I, I love the whole setup of the the camp that like she has this incredibly like flamboyant son who's just like always with some kind of chainsaw or you know broom (laughs) handle or whatever it is just like being so sexy and if he's not doing that he's like walking outside with a curly straw it's just like all of the details in that whole dynamic um are set up wonderfully rupaul i mean we probably should spend a little time just talking about RuPaul yeah. and how brilliant he is in this <laughs> this movie uh, and just, like, this is, like, you know, uh, earlier on and, like, a time when 
he he was appearing a lot in in films like this and I don't know. I just think his performance is brilliant. Mm-hmm. It's really strange coming to it off the back of watching a lot of, a lot of Drag Race in recent weeks. Um, right. And just you can see bits of it in there. And every so often there's a quirk or a mannerism. You're like, oh, I see it. But the the performance of RuPaul, it, it's just it's buried compared to when he's in drag. And it's Right, so- right. And this is like similar for me with like Natasha. Mm. It's like this was how I first met. RuPaul, you know, and right. certainly RuPaul was doing, <gasps> okay. dra- like, you know, maybe not this movie, but like, I don't know, I can't think of yeah, the other been things in a few, he was in yeah. at the time. But I know that that he was in like a handful of, of things that I had seen and, and what have you. And and also was, I'm pretty sure, again, I, don't, I haven't fact checked this, so hopefully I'm not misspeaking, but um, was definitely do like doing drag and mm. like was, you know, we knew who RuPaul was mm-hmm. um, past just like acting in this part in this movie. But um, for me coming to understand RuPaul, it was actually both pieces of um, like the drag and also him playing, you know, gay characters in films and what have you. So um, it's not, but I imagine, right, if you're going backwards now, um, it's like, oh, wow. Yeah. And, and and it is a good performance. Even over and above that, you'd say it's a very interesting character. Oh, my God. His, like, one of his first lines, like, I myself was once a gay. Oh, <laughs> 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 uh, and they just, I mean, the whole cast is incredible, but RuPaul, of course. Uh, and also, you know, I, I didn't write down the actor's name who plays Andre, but I also think that his performance is incredible. Um, and he was one of my favorite characters in the like my first watching of the movie. I just like loved him. Uh, the chap is called Douglas Spain. Oh, okay. We... Yeah, yeah. So I don't know his other work, um, but I think he's done other other show, TV shows and movies and um, what have you, but I, I thought he was phenomenal. And then, you know, I, I mean, the classic things like the scene that I probably, the scene that comes to my mind the most when I think of this movie is, of course, where she's, maybe not of course, but where she's sitting in the chair and she's saying, I'm a homosexual, I'm a homosexual, and she's crying and then she's like drooling and her face, it's just like one of the more brilliant performances mm-hmm. by Natasha Leone, uh of all time. And certainly in the context of this movie, I think it's like one of the classic scenes of her sort of like owning it and realizing it and just like losing it Mm -hmm. as she does so i love that and then i I have a whole list here Uh, clea duval on her cigarette uh, clea duval on her button down clea duval on her smile etc (laughs) etc i love butch jan um i think that that character uh you know i Having having been going through the first season of The L Word with To Ellen back and just like revisiting my early stages of understanding of like gender and sexuality, uh, I find these little touchstones of of characters and moments that taught me um, the the sort of expanded view of gender and sexuality. Because when I first came to like understanding myself as somebody who was gay, uh, I didn't really understand the flexibility there. I definitely thought that like gender presentation was attached to sexuality and, and what have you. And so the fact that this character exists, um, you know, and is like super masculine presenting, you know, I, I call her Butch Jan. I just finished reading, um, Stone Butch Blues, um, which is a, a devastatingly important read that everybody should read it's just I I mean I won't go on about it here but there's a character in it whose name is Butch Jan and I was like I wonder if 
like I wonder uh, if they pulled Butch Jan from Stone Butch Blues. But anyhow, I love that her whole arc is sort of like, hey, actually, like I, I my gender presentation doesn't like match the way you want it to match. But I actually am like super into dudes, so mm-hmm. I'm gonna go. <laughs> yeah. That was really, like, it's hilarious, and it's also, it was really important even for me as, like, a young queer person at that time to be like, huh, right, gender and sexuality are not inextricably linked. (laughs) Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, that's definitely, growing up the way that I did, um, so I actually don't know that I explained this to you. One of the reasons why I am pop culturally deprived is because I grew up in a very conservative kind of fundamentalist house. Mm-hmm. Um, so I didn't get to watch a lot of things. So I grew up in a house that definitely prescribed to the same gender roles that they're presenting in the movie as right. fact. Um, I, I grew up in that. And so I probably around the time that this movie came out or maybe, you know, a few years before that, I would have seen Jan and expected her to have mm-hmm. a sexuality that lined up with her outward appearance because I wouldn't have known any better. Totally. Um, and so at the time, I think, had I seen this in 1999, I think it would have been like mind-blowing for me. I think I would have enjoyed it, but I think it would have blown my mind. Absolutely. Yeah, totally. And like, I didn't grow up in a house that like had super rigid gender roles, though. I mean, I grew up Catholic and there's like a whole bunch of shit in there. Um, but even for me as a person who had been out, who had just moved to New York City, um, who had a girlfriend, it was still mind blowing for me at that mm-hmm. time. Because, you know, it's like you have to there's a lot to unlearn. Uh, and, and yeah. you know, I think all of us still fall into those patterns now. You know, I mean, I've been out for 20 years and doing work in queer communities for 10 and definitely still can catch myself making assumptions about people based on their appearance, their physicality, what have you, you know, and like, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have undone a lot of those underpinning things um, so that I can check myself when that happens. But it goes deep. Those Mm -hmm. like those ties really do go very deep for all of us. Absolutely. Um, And on top of that, I'm also from North Carolina. So I'm dealing with the southernness as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, (laughs) it's just layered. It's great. Yeah, Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, also, I just want to talk about the song that plays during the sex scene. Like I talked about the lighting and how I think it's like, you know, probably up there. If I had to make like a top 10 list of queer sex scenes, um, this would definitely be on it. Uh, and I think part of that is the visuals. But then also, I'm sorry, but the lyrics to this song are breathe into my hands or cup them like a glass to drink from. Like, and then it's just, are you still breathing over and over again? It is A, the most 90s song I've ever <laughs> mm-hmm. heard in my entire life. And B, the lyrics are gutting and beautiful. Like, it's like stupid how beautiful they are. I could not, I tweeted about it like right before we started taping because I was like, I can't contain this. <laughs> Share it with the world. <laughs> yeah, I remember thinking um, when I was hearing it, I was like, wow, this song is beautiful and it's so perfect here in this scene. Um, and I was contrasting it to the song they were dancing to at the club. Right. Because that song, everybody was slow dancing to it, and it was not a slow dance kind of song. But the words of that one, and I cannot remember what they were right now, but they were so on point, like almost too on the nose. Oh, I don't remember. For what they I were dealing I with. Oh, I, I don't now. think I wrote it down. Um. <laughs> terrible i wish i had because i just remember thinking that is yeah my notes were this is not really a slow dance kind of song but it's definitely on point for lyrics so that's not right. super helpful 
Oh, I, yeah, I can't. I just watched it, but I think yeah. I got just bowled over by the um, cupping hands <laughs> like a glass to drink from. I forgot all the other music. Oh, you know what? I did write down one of I did write down a note about another song somewhere because it was a song that um, really stuck with me. Like when it started playing, I um, I was like, oh, right, which uh, this is not the song that played at the bar. But the other song that is like really rooted for me in this movie and like feelings is the song that plays when they're doing like the final test uh and it's sort of like this montage scene i think i think that's when it happens um but it's sort of like you see um you see megan and graham like through the testing like getting closer and closer and closer and laughing mm-hmm. and it's this song by a band that was apparently a short-lived band in the 90s called Ghost Sailor and it's the one that's like she's a ray of she's a ray of sunshine my only ray of sunshine mm-hmm. uh which is just again like not about as 90s as 90s can be with right music. yeah <laughs> so i'm i'm looking at the track listing of the songs and i think it's called the song i'm talking about is called if you should try and kiss her Oh, that does sound on the nose. <laughs> yeah, that's the one that looking at these titles, I'm I'm like, I'm pretty sure that's probably what it was. Um, <laughs> just because that was when it was super clear. There's a crush happening mm-hmm. here. Like, mm-hmm. this is gonna be a thing now. And I was here for it. It's great. <laughs> I, I do love that the uh, track listing has a RuPaul track on there. And it is one of the songs in the film. It's so amazing. I didn't realize it's that, that sort of brazenness that I do love about the drag race as well. It's like you're going to help RuPaul film a new video. You're going to lip sync to her song. You're going to <laughs> Ru- RuPaul also knows how to work absolutely. a budget, you know, <laughs> right? I'm going to get the most out of this. Possible. You're going to go to the yeah. absolute vodka bar, are you? Indeed. Okay. <laughs> right, Mandy. You've mentioned the kissing scene a couple of times. Uh, this is your opportunity to tell us quite why he gave you such big heart eyes i mean have you seen it <laughs> I have. how can I have. you see that scene and not just have your heart go all a flutter because... three sizes that day <laughs> i mean yeah it was i think because there were a lot of things happening one it was just we had already seen megan's experience kissing a dude oh although my God. <laughs> that dude did it. not do it right let me just say <laughs> <laughs> Poor have you, Megan. Have you all seen Pen Fifteen at all? No, because there. I just watched the the whole series in like one sitting, which you will too if you started. It's phenomenal, and it's basically a, a high school or middle school rather set show uh, in the early two thousands. Anyhow, there's a kissing scene in that show that is uh, really pulled right from this one. Oh, really? same deal, and you're just like, oh god. <laughs> he's looking at her face (laughs) i was just thinking like poor megan has never had a real like actual kiss like she doesn't know what kissing is supposed to be like and then she gets to experience this with graham and it was sweet and it had like a sense of innocence about it and it was just beautiful also, oh, sorry. Yes, please keep talking about this. Yeah, no, no, it's yeah, just yeah, I, I loved I, I, it. Absolutely. <laughs> um, like I was sitting there kind of thinking, I wish I was getting kissed like that by Clea Duvall. See, that's how we trick you. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, no, it, I, that is hands down my favorite scene. I mean, this, the sex scene was great, too. Um, but I think just because that first kissing scene was really Megan's kind of awakening, Mm-hmm. Like she had already admitted it, you know, she had already said, well, I don't think these feelings are unnatural and she had owned it, right. but she hadn't really internalized it, I think, until this scene when she got jealous 
and then they kissed. And right. just watching it play out, I loved. And I think this is a common experience, right? Of of like you can, you you can't admit to yourself the way you're feeling until all of a sudden somebody else is like moving in on that person, and then and then suddenly you can't justify. Like there's no way to justify the anger or the jealousy unless you look right at the feelings you have. And so as much as like I agree, there's like an innocence and and like sweetness to the kiss. I also think that there's a sense of urgency to it, which is why it's really powerful too. It's like, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, Graham is like screaming. They're screaming at each other. You know, she's like, you want me to do what I want, what I really want. And Megan is like, screw you. And in the middle of like screaming at her, mm-hmm. Graham kisses her. So like, and it winds up being super sweet and what have you. But it does come from this place of like fighting against it, fighting against it, fighting against it. And finally giving into it, which right. is like, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of powerful shit about being uh, queer. And like that moment is one of the really amazing ones where, yeah. you know, you're just like, holy shit, I'm doing this thing. Like mm-hmm. I'm actually doing this thing that I've thought about doing for so long. And I don't know how I feel about it, but it's happening. <laughs> <laughs> it's deep. It's heavy. Yeah. She also says there's a, there's a moment in the beginning of the movie where um, Michelle Williams' character is like, you know, uh, you don't like, you know, you, why don't you like kissing him or whatever? And uh, Megan is like, well, maybe he's just not doing it right. And it's like, actually, that is correct. Mm. Like, yeah. <laughs> we, we cannot determine your sexuality based on you not liking your boyfriend's kiss because it is the worst thing anyone has ever witnessed. <laughs> like, I had so much secondhand embarrassment watching it. Right <laughs> it's just awful. Yeah, awful. Bad. So... Um, the other thing that really, really stood out to me, um, it was when sh- they were trying to get Megan to admit that she's a homosexual. And, um, <laughs> you know, it it was like, but I haven't had sex with my boyfriend yet. And the um, the other girl, I think it was Melanie's character, um, she said, it's really easy to be a prude when you're not attracted to him, isn't it? <laughs> and I was like, oh, my God, that's so spot on. But yeah. so hilarious. Uh, they gave you like a lot of characters who had um, varying levels of self-awareness about being queer mm-hmm. to contrast like Megan's total unawareness. Um, you know, the, a lot of them really just like toyed with her because they were all like very aware that they were queer and very aware that they were going to be queer well after leaving this camp. <laughs> right, right. Just going through the motions to get mm-hmm. out. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Matthew? I, I know Kristen and I have, have really been gushing and not giving you a ton of time to talk. So did you have some really uh, moments that stood out to you? Uh, other than all the things you've said, because there is a lot of good in here. Um, I, <laughs> right. I, we've not really touched on the boys and, and they are very much there for comic relief. Y- mm-hmm. You know, they're doing some of the story stuff and showing how ridiculous this is. But there's a really nice spectrum of characters in there who were sort of doing camp or queer or gay or butch in, in very different ways i i think there were there were some yeah. people saying it was all very stereotypical but this is actually showing there is a, a, a something of a spectrum here which is really nice mm-hmm. but i did quite enjoy it. i'm sure there's a moment where they are threatened with the punishment of watching sports and no one wants that <laughs> <laughs> well and that was really funny too because it's like most of them don't but then you have like uh Dolph, mm. right who is a wrestler yeah. and it's like like so it's like a fu- it's like funny on the on the head of like the stereotypical joke of like gay guys don't like sports and then undone immediately too because it's like well one of these dudes is straight up a wrestler yeah. <laughs> like right he, he would probably like watching sports and want to watch sports. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I agree. I think the variety in both 
um, the boys and the girls is really amazing. And like, you know, I think you would see that now. Mm. Um, and this was 99. And I don't know that that would have been the case if you had um, if you had straight people making this movie. I don't know that that would have been as nuanced, um, but you didn't. You know, you had two two queer people. Not, I'm sure not just two queer people, but like, yeah. you know, speaking of Jamie and the, um, I don't Ryan, know the name yeah. of the dude who. Yeah, like the two of them are both coming to it with an experience of being gay or queer, however they identify, and and so know enough to upend those things. Uh, that, that Sure, of course, the stereotypes are stereotypes. Like a lot of the, you know, the cliches, the stereotypes are there because that's true. It's like, you know, definitely I've had a lot of flannel shirts in my life that, you know, I can't, I cannot deny it. Um, but obviously that's not the case for everybody. And within that is nuance. Mm. And I think even with it being satirical, we get to see that here. Yeah, it's just a lot of fun all the way through. And, and I think that fun sort of robs the power from Mandy just going back to your question earlier about the you know mm. should it actually be as lighthearted as this it does take away some of that uh, scariness is not the right word but it says this is bloody ridiculous and that's good it's, right. it's the sort of attitude that should be taken say look we should laugh at this thing and try to resign it to history yeah yeah and like you know as much as much as we're laughing at it too like if you really look into the themes there you have a bunch of queer young people banding together to protect each other and lift each other up you have queer people or gay people or what have you who went through this camp knew it was wrong and who live nearby and quite literally like you know guerrilla style Mm. throw you know quite who quite literally like go in underground and are like giving them flyers and showing them things you know to read and taking them to bars not because they want them to drink alcohol but because they want them to see that there's community and that there is a way for them to be who they are and and what have you so it's like right it's satirical but also the 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 like kind of nuggets that we need to survive are also all spelled out for us in the the way that the movie is Mm. made great love it so there's one scene that we haven't talked about yet, um, and I'm, I'm not really sure that there is anything to say about it other than it was horrible. But when ugh, the head lady, oh. I can't think of her name, she makes them go with the signs and protest in front of Larry and Lloyd's house. Oh, and yeah. they're Sorry, shouting I you were and talk about the scene where they're uh, forced to simulate sex. Which oh is also God, I tried horrible, to block that out. I tried to block that one out. We should probably horrible, talk about that too. Horrible, horrible, Ugh. horrible scene. <laughs> um, but yeah, the both of those scenes are pretty, pretty rough um, to get through. I actually have a, a worse time with the sex simulation like final thing. I mean, it's again, it's there to like underline. Mm-hmm. how fucking ridiculous it is but it's upsetting but yeah sorry to the signs yeah i think that scene broke my heart just a little bit because she's making them shout these horrible things that are about themselves mm-hmm. you know and right. <laughs> i ugh, it just it hurt to watch it and then to see megan like they had this shot where everybody else goes and gets back on the bus and they drop their signs and she's still standing there by herself holding her sign right which and is a gorgeous image. It is a gor- gorgeous image. And everything that, that they did in this movie is was intentional, like like you've said. And it just it speaks so much to fighting against your nature and like punishing yourself for who you are. And 
Yeah. And yeah. also the fact that like, m- like this is a truth too, right? That how many people who are marching mm-hmm. against, you know, LGBTQ equality are actually like repressing something inside of themselves so much that it turns into hatred. Like obviously we're not seeing that precisely here because they're being forced to do it. But like, I think there is a commentary there on that too, that Mm -hmm. when you, when you do deny a part of yourself enough, you hate people who are not denying that part of themselves. Right. Cause you don't get to live it and they do. And you don't, it's not like tangible for you like that. But um, I do think that there's a lot of that in this, in that scene too. You're a very generous person. I think. <laughs> uh, um, also, listen, we can talk about the, the sign scene more too, but I want to make sure that we t- are going to talk about her cheer, Megan's cheer, because that is also a thing that can make me sob my eyes out at the end of the movie. Um, she sort of comes back to get, right, to get Graham. And she and and like to make it all the more powerful, like Graham has said to her, like in that scene where they're sleeping together, you know, I I want to see you cheer. And Megan is so embarrassed and is like, stop making fun. Like, don't make fun of me. And she's like, no, seriously, like I want to see you cheer. And it's this like really powerful moment because it's like, listen, I know I made fun of cheerleaders, but like actually you mean something to me and this means something to you. And so therefore I would like to see this thing and like look at it a different way. And then for her to make the decision that like, the last thing she's going to do to try to get Graham is to do this cheer, which is one, two, three, four. I won't take no anymore. Five, six, seven, eight. I want you to be my mate. One, two, three, four. You're the one I adore. Five, six, seven, eight. Don't run from me because this is fate. Murder me. Murder me. Like it's the cutest, sweetest, gentlest, most innocent thing on the face of the planet. And it kills me. It kills me. Yeah, it was I, – I was right there with you. I, I was struggling a little bit still with the idea of she's trying to push Graham into something Graham's not ready for. Um, but it, great, I love grand gestures. And in the grand scheme of a romance, that's exactly what you want. And it was yeah. so sweet and brave. And it melted my little heart. Yeah, mine too. Yeah. Every time I see it, it melts my heart. Yeah. Um, all right. So before we wrap up, let's talk about that scene that we have avoided that I like blocked out until you reminded me of it. Oh, no. <laughs> like I honestly so I I had picked up throughout the movie that they had talked about there was going to be a simulation and I could not for the life of me figure out what it was going to be. Mm-hmm. I never imagined it was going to be simulating sex. Like, yeah, like heterosexual sex like that completely came out of left field for me it probably shouldn't have given the nature of the movie but i was well like I, I, did they really I, go there yeah like i i get why it came out of left field and i this is something i would like love to learn more about the decision making on this as the final step because i do think it comes out of left field in the sense that we are allowed to just laugh at most of the other steps right it's like ha, 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 they're like putting a wedding dress on or like, ha, ha, look at those boys chopping wood or, you know, like it's not funny because it is sort of illustrating a larger thing about our world that's totally not funny at all. It's really fucked up. But it like you're really just allowed to laugh and laugh only for the most part. And then when we get to step five, 
you're not allowed to just laugh anymore. Like it's like I mean, this is a this is like an abusive thing to do right. to any anybody. Uh, it's totally um, you know obviously non consensual. Um, it's it's just really upsetting. And you know they they there's a there's an element of of course like laughing because they're in these like ridiculous nude like Adam and Eve literal suits with like leaves and flowers on them, and it's ridiculous. But it is. Um, it's like definitely more like violent than any of the other steps. So I think mm-hmm. it makes sense that you were like, what the hell? Um, and and I have to imagine that there was an intentionality behind that too. I don't even know how I feel about it, but I, I definitely would think that that was made, that decision was made consciously because mm-hmm. it is violent, right? Like what happens in conversion therapy is incredibly violent right, if it's absolutely. not like this. So I don't know. Again, maybe I'm being too generous with like this and, and what have you, but Oh, it's a very up. It's it upsets me more. Like the the older I am, when I watch it, and like the more that I am aware of stuff, mm-hmm. the more that it upsets me. Yeah, I it it just it had a very different tone from the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. I, I feel like they tried to keep it campy because of the outfits and um, her sitting there with the megaphone directing them right. and that sort of thing. But like, what was happening was just. I mean, it was not okay i mean nothing in this movie that happened was okay but this right right and like but isn't that like i haven't really unpacked this that much like i'm kind of unpacking it live right here but Mm -hmm. isn't that like the point (laughs) that like it is like no matter what stage of this you're at like basically this is what you're doing to somebody you know like you're you're violating them um Mm -hmm. at every stage and like yes this is the the biggest piece of the violation but um i think that because of because of this scene like you don't get to watch the movie and only laugh at the idea of it right right so again i'm not sure i haven't unpacked it a bunch but i definitely find it to be upsetting as well (laughs) yeah i think um i think i definitely want to rewatch this movie um you know because the first time you watch a movie it's you don't know what you're getting into and so you don't really know the right frame of mind that you need to have to experience it. Mm-hmm. Um, so after, especially if you're talking about it with you um, and, and hearing just like your passion about it and, and all of that stuff, I think I really want to rewatch it and kind of see if if I feel any differently or if I can, I'm not sure the word that I'm looking for, make some connections that I missed the first time. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think that's, I mean, with any good movie, right? Like, the second time through or the third time through, you're like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what they tell me, especially when there are movies that I didn't like. They're like, no, but you have to watch it again. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Sometimes, too, though, like, you know, movies get into our minds, I think, at different stages of time and they become, you know, just like little touchstones for us. And then it's hard to bring somebody into it later. You know, like, I, I do think that that's real, too. It's like... I'm sure there are some movies that mean a lot to me that I wouldn't be able to get uh, to translate for somebody else because the reason that they're so important to me is because of the experience I had with them at the yeah. time and then like watching them over and over again. And mm-hmm. so I get that. I, I get that. Yeah, we've run into that several times on this show, um, particularly with older movies that just didn't age well. Mm-hmm. But people still love them because of sentimentality and nostalgia. And like you said, where they were at the time they first saw it. Right, um, right. It, it totally. matters. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. 
Um, I want to tell everybody, because I mentioned Sinead up at the top um, as somebody who is on Buffy. So just in case you're like wondering, uh, Sinead has played. We haven't even talked about Sinead, by the way, uh, (laughs) who loves pain and is a homosexual. (laughs) But Sinead is played by Catherine Townsend, who um, played Sunday in The Freshman, the the season four premiere um, episode of Buffy. Sunday was like the the like badass blonde vampire who mm-hmm. was like leading the pack of vampires. And, she, you know, I'm just, I'm into basically, I think every character Katherine Townsend plays. I don't know. I've only, I only know these two, I think, but she's been in a bunch of stuff and I love both Sunday and Sinead very deeply. <laughs> yeah. The, so the whole time I was watching this movie, every time Sinead came on screen, I was like, she looks so familiar and I cannot place her. Mm-hmm. And then I read your note and the outline and I immediately went, oh my God, that's where I know her from. Yep. Yep. I did the reverse, actually. When when we watched The Freshman um, at the start of season four of Buffering, I was like, why do I know? Or maybe I didn't even clock that I knew her, but I think we reached out to her to, to try to do an interview. And when I looked her up, I was like, what, what, what? <laughs> <laughs> it was like brain explosions. Right. Yeah. Um, and I, I also just love it whenever we can bring Buffy connections to... Uh, mm-hmm. PCD. Like we <laughs> we used to try and do it intentionally on every episode, and we've kind of fallen away from it. But I love it when they organically happen. Yeah, you knew they would happen if you brought me on. <laughs> of course, absolutely. I mean, if anything else, you yeah. were my Buffy connection to this yeah, one. So that's true. <laughs> All right. Well, is there anything else that we need to talk about? But I'm a cheerleader. Oh God. Um. Maybe just, I mean, there's so many things, listen, I'm truly, but um, I do think that it's nice that they end, that sort of like the last clip is just like a little tag on the end with her dad, Peter, who's all, that's also my dad's name, no big deal, mm-hmm. um, that Peter going into a PFLAG meeting, basically, mm-hmm. um, back when PFLAG stood for parents and friends of lesbians and gays. It, it no longer stands for that little little known fact. It's just PFLAG. <laughs> it doesn't stand for anything. Okay. Um, yeah, because obviously, like, lesbians and gays is not really the way that, like, we self-refer or even refer outside to our right, community. Right, right. Um, so PFLAG is, like, just PFLAG now. But back in 1999, 2000, um, it was parents and friends of lesbians and gays and you see the banner up behind and he's like my, my daughter is a homosexual uh <laughs> and it's it's really sweet it's nice because you know um it's very clear that graham's family is not coming around um yeah. that she's that that graham has lost a lot in making the decision to go with megan right graham has lost um her like her trust fund her family her basically everything she's ever known to be to be true and also every support that she had um she's lost and you think that megan has lost that too because they say if you're if you're gay don't come back home again but we find out right at the little tail end here that um that megan's parents have journeyed a little closer to her which which is nice well, her dad did. Her mom showed up, but her she mom was like up. in sunglasses and a scarf <laughs> and like hiding. You got to give her credit. Mm. Listen, you got to give her credit. I, um, as we talked about at the top of the episode, wrote a book called This is a Book for Parents of Gay Kids. And I toured with the book when it first came out in 2014. And I did an event on Long Island. I will never forget it as long as I live. I had two, there was, you know, I don't know, say 40 people in the audience or what have you. And at the end, we did a Q&A. And there was a, a dude who raised his hand and asked a question that was sort of the, the question. I can't remember like how he phrased it, but it was basically like, "We 
uh, we don't like gay people, but our, our kid is gay. So can you help us? And I was like, this is the most, I'm from Long Island. All my, a lot of my family's from Long Island. I was like, this is the most Long Island shit I've ever seen in my life. That these people <laughs> came to my event. This is a book for parents of gay kids because they want to help their kid and they want to get help, but they can't. They're just like, I hate gay people. Can you help me? <laughs> but what what ties it to to this uh, moment in the P flag group is that they the the mother and the father they were there together but they sat separately because the and and eventually as we talked with them they sort of like were looking at each other and then were, like eventually just kind of like gave up the ruse but it was very apparent that like the mom knew that the dad was going to ask a question and she didn't feel ready to be identified at that moment as like the parent of somebody. So, you know, this is, it's just real. And, and like, I think that despite her mom being there in like a hat and trying to hide, like it's still, I think she still deserves the credit because her butt is in that seat and she's, you know, she's taking the first step. <laughs> okay. Yeah. She, she is there. She showed up. So she's trying to she be supportive. Yeah. She's trying to learn how to be supportive. Yes. At least. Okay. But, and we said exactly Fair the same enough. thing at the end of Saved with the pastor trying to reconcile sex before marriage and keeping this child and all this he wasn't mm. quite sure of it but he was taking the step towards getting there and we, we gave yeah, him credit right? for that yeah. so. baby steps hmm. alright <laughs> okay if you would like to join the conversation you can use the hashtag PCDeprived on Twitter you can find us on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram at Eloquent Gushing and you can drop us an email to podcast at eloquentgushing.com or leave us a voice message on speakpipe.com slash gushing. Kristen, it has been amazing having you here. So thank you so much for coming on and joining us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I hope that I didn't talk too much. I'm, as you can tell, very enamored with this film. Oh, you liked um, it. So oh. I know. <laughs> yeah, I talked a lot, but um, I do love it uh, very, very no, much. We, we love hearing when people love something so much. That's really, really great. Uh, are, are there other <laughs> films you can recommend to someone as pop culture deprived as Mandy that she should go and seek out to watch? Well, okay, so I'm going to get in trouble, I think, for recommending this uh, to the people who are, like, listening to this episode who are uh, deep into the zeitgeist of queer cinema will probably ream me. But the for me, the two most, most like, touchstone queer movies that I watched as a young person in this vein were But I'm a Cheerleader and Lost in Delirious, which is a movie that has Piper Perabo and actually Misha Barton randomly. She's, like, 12 <laughs> or something in the movie. Um, it is – I'm going to just say, like, it's – I don't know that it's a um, high-quality film, but it is <laughs> really intense and – I think worth a watch. There's a falcon, the main starring role played by a falcon. I won't tell you anymore, but I do feel that it goes hand in hand if you're, if you're taking the Kristen Russo 1990s, early 2000s queer movie Queer movie train. 101. <laughs> that okay. would be your next. Yeah, that would be your next viewing. Um, so I'm sorry and you're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> I have never even heard of it, so I will absolutely look it up. At the very least, I will look it up. How about that? Okay, great, great. <laughs> awesome. uh, and, and if people do want to go and find you and your work, where are they able to find you? Um, well, you can find a whole bunch of things that I do um, by going to my website, kristinnoline.com. Um, that is K-R-I-S-T-I-N-N-O-E-L-I-N-E.com. That's also my Twitter account and my Instagram handle. 
buffering. The Vampire Slayer is at Buffering Cast. And then right now, um, I'm actually in about, I don't know when this will go up, but I will be partway through a Kickstarter for um, the Boiler Room. We're just raising some funds there. Joanna Robinson and I um, are going to be hosting it. And that can all be found at theboilerroomcast.com. And you can follow our socials over there at The Boiler Room. So uh, various places, depending on your interests. <laughs> awesome. Cannot wait. That's yeah. really exciting. Yeah. Um, I've, I've had some folks in our circles talk about maybe doing um, either like a live tweet of my so-called life and rewatching it or even trying yeah. to do a podcast, but nobody's ever done it. So I'm really excited that you I'm are. I'm here for you. I'm here for you. I'm going to do it. Yeah. Have you ever, have you seen it? Have you guys seen? Um, I have, I don't know that I watched all of it. I remember um, when it was on like originally, like when it mm-hmm. was on live, I remember watching it and I loved Ray Ann. Same. Like, I like I hated Angela and I think it's because I was her. <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. And I you wanted and to be Rayanne so badly, but I don't actually remember any of the plot. Like, you will enjoy coming through it again, so. I think. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to it. It's gonna and, and I will be your voice, uh, Mandy, because I am the same. I was obsessed with Rayanne and wanted nothing to do with Angela. And that was entirely because I was fully an Angela. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, same. All right. (laughs) Well, Pop Culturally Deprived is 100% funded by listeners like you through our Patreon page. Any amount you can give, even just $1 a month, will give you access to exclusive content and also help support our network and develop new shows. To find out more, visit patreon.com slash eloquentgushing. We'll be back next week with another episode where we'll talk about Star Trek V. Until then, I'm Mandy Kay. And you are who you are. The only trick is not getting caught. Pop Culturally Deprived is an Eloquent Gushing production. For more information, please visit eloquentgushing.com.